And before we get started, let's uh, commit our time to the Lord. Father, we are uh, so mindful and grateful for the privilege that's ours to have our own copy of the Word of God. And we think of just a few weeks back when Esther was here uh, and the incredible task of trying to translate any portion of the Bible into a language that's never been written. That's enormous, and apart from your grace, no one can really do it. But in America, we don't have that problem. Our problem is valuing it for what it is, and uh, because we have so much access to truth and the Bible and uh, being uh, exposed to the truths of the Bible. We pray your blessing on our time this morning. May you be glorified to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I know that there weren't a whole lot that could go yesterday, but I wanted to just give a plug. If you ever get an opportunity across the country to go hear the Collingsworth family, they're a gospel-singing family. They're the mom and dad and four adult children, and they even had one of the grandkids sing last night. But they, they were in Salt Lake, and uh, I, I, I think Steve would agree I don't even have words to describe what we experienced last night. It was over the top. You know, sometimes you go to Christian concerts and, the, you know, the music's so loud you can't hear the singers. That wasn't the case at all. And, I mean, uh, uh, the gal playing the piano, uh, she completed the evening by uh, uh, play, playing Handel's Messiah. <laughs> and, I mean, in a way that I have never heard. So they had violinists. And, of course, they were all vocalists and uh, guitarists, and uh, it was just a fun evening of Christian gospel music. And it was a, a real treat to be there. But if you ever come across them, I, I wholeheartedly, at least based on what we experienced last night, was a great uh, treat. All right, I, I, I had you turn first to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, when... Pastor Greg preached through Ephesians. He called attention to this portion of Ephesians 4, but I think it does serve us well in why do we meet? I mean, besides the fact that we have an injunction to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but why do we really meet? Well, one of the job descriptions, if you will, of a servant of the Lord who particularly serves as a shepherd in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, says, And he gave, that is the Lord, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Then he gives us these purpose clauses. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until, that is how long, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, and this is kind of the climax, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human uh, cunning, by craftiness or deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body jointly and held together by every joint which is equipped, when uh, each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's a couple of key thoughts I just call your attention to that Paul reminds us of. He gives these gifted people. Now, I've always emphasized, and I believe it's a legitimate exegesis of the text, and that is this is different than what we find in Romans 12, that is the list of spiritual gifts, and 1 Corinthians 12, another list of spiritual gifts. But rather, rather than the energizing work of the Holy Spirit in me that provides that giftedness, these are the people are the gifts. Did you get that? Because it says he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Okay? So they are the gifts. Okay? And uh, now why did he give them? Well, to build up the body, to equip the body, ultimately that it is brought into maturity uh, before the Lord returns. And so someone much smarter than I have coined this phrase, and uh, I've uh, remembered it for many years. And that is, the primary purpose of the church gathered is edification. That is, when Pastor Greg sits up there and teaches, the primary reason why we meet together is for edification. The primary purpose of the church outside of the four walls is evangelism. Now, does that mean those lines never cross? Well, of course not. Do people get saved in church? Of course. Are people edified outside of the walls of the church? Of course. But see, that's the reason why, if you've ever wondered why some churches, as you exit their uh, lobby above the door, many times they have this little cliche or saying. It says you are now entering the mission field. That is evangelism. And so gathered is edification. Scattered is evangelism. Now, why is that important? Well, when we come to, and you can turn back to Matthew 13, about the parable of the sower, uh, it's all about the word of God, right? Uh, The word of God being scattered, being sown, and uh, the results of that. Uh, and so I, I won't review everything we did last week so we don't run out of time again. But uh, we, uh, God has set up all of life on the basis of sowing and reaping. In our vernacular, we would call it cause and effect, right? I learned this very early on in the building trades. Uh, becoming a journeyman. If I want to achieve this finished product, okay, then this is what I have to do to get there. Now, whether it's three steps, six steps, ten steps, that doesn't matter. That's incidental. But I have to do it this way to arrive at that. Well, I'd like to suggest to you that not only on a personal level in your life, in my life, but also on an ecclesiastical level, that is, as a church, that we have a product in mind. That is, that we want to, through the, over the course of time, from the moment that a person is saved and they grow in the Lord, we have a certain 
thing in our mind of what we want that believer to look like and being equipped and uh, so that they can do the work of the ministry. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? This is yes, this is no. <laughs> uh, same thing with uh, uh, my journeyman trade is painting and drywalling. And I, and I know if, I, if this is the product I want to get to, then this is the way it has to be done, okay? And, uh, and so God has laid out for those who are in leadership responsibilities that y you need to be clear about that, what your primary responsibility is within the local assembly, and that is edification. Now, on a personal level, he's going to do evangelism just like all of us, but he does that primarily as a Christian, just like you do as a Christian. Uh, because we rub shoulders with those who do not know the Lord. All right, with that, uh, I, I won't review everything, like I said, but uh, uh, I want to just give you this big idea, and that is that, that we all have three enemies in life that want to keep you from reaping what you want to reap. Okay? Uh, I mentioned to you last week that uh, uh, one of our old-time favorites when we were raising our children was to play Monopoly. And uh, I won't tell you which child always wanted to change the rules, uh, but we had children that wanted to change the rules because suddenly they started getting behind and houses and hotels were being built all around them and they could see the writing on the wall. Well, you can't change the rules in the middle of the game. But we don't we try to do that with God? And we say, well, you know, I, I thought I could get away with living this way or doing that or avoiding that or perhaps not making that a priority. I thought I could get away with that for a year or five years or ten years and I'll, I'll be okay. And then when it catches up with us, what do we tend to do? We tend to blame God and that's all God did was set up the rules. We don't tell him how to set up the rules. He's the one that sets the rules for life whether that's in marriage, whether that's in finances, whether that's in raising children, uh, you name it. God is the one that sets up the rules. I violate those rules, and I'm going to reap the consequences, or for the sake of our study, uh, uh, sowing and reaping. So we have the first enemy that we covered. I did give you the other two points, but uh, uh, we didn't get a chance to get to those. But the, the first one is the person. Now remember, in the first uh, uh, few verses of Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9, he gives us the parable. Uh, but then we're not left to ourselves of knowing, uh, well, how do I uh, interpret this parable that Jesus just communicated? Well, he tells us it, uh, beginning with verse 13 or 18, where he says, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown in, in along the path. So we have the first enemy is a person. That person is the devil. Now he's not, he says here, he, he uh, expresses it as the evil one. And Mark and Luke who cover it, the same story, uh, make it very clear that it's Satan or the devil. And... Uh, now, one of the things that we notice 
in three out of the four. And by the way, if you've never studied this parable, understand that the parable of the sower is talking about four different kinds of soil of your heart. That's what the soil is, okay? And, and the last thing the devil wants is for that seed to not only not bear fruit, uh, but to flourish in your life and guide and direct you for your lifetime. Uh, and so Satan is not happy with that when we do want to make a difference. Uh, and notice uh, in three out of these four, I'm going to just call your attention to it, that in verse 19 it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, in verse 20, this is the one who hears the word of God. And then in uh, verse 22, uh, this is one who hears the word. So that's all they do is hear. Only the last one is there an embracing of what's been heard. Now, many of you are parents in here. And for the most part that I know of, you have children that have these two things on the side of their head. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that they hear. Is that right? <laughs> uh, they, they hear noise. They hear words. Uh, but typically, as parents, you say, uh, you're not listening. They may have heard words, but they're not listening. No wonder that Jesus said they have ears to hear, but they hear not. That is, they, they got these things on the side of their head, but they don't hear. Uh, but all three, and ultimately the fourth one, all hear. And I mentioned last week in closing this first point that it is the devil that loves to keep people lost. And if he isn't successful in keeping you lost, uh, the next best thing is to keep you fruitless. Uh, he's not worried about fruitless people. Not, not in the least. If you want to bear fruit, whether that's Christian virtues internally, whether that's bear fruit and in influencing others, Satan, if you don't have a heart to do that, Satan's not bothered by you. Now, when I said that if Satan isn't successful in keeping you unsaved, obviously we know that God is sovereign. But I also know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. So he's, this is a life and death battle for the mind and heart of those who don't know Jesus. And so it's not a matter of how clever we are in the presentation or how much clearer we can be. Ultimately, if the Holy Spirit doesn't break through and open up the eyes of that person who's without Jesus, whether they're a child or an adult, we are hopeless to do anything with regard to their eternal destiny. When I uh, think of this uh, parable and uh, the evil one comes uh, in earlier in when he uh, expresses the, the, uh, the uh, parable itself, he talks about the birds coming away and snatching away the seed. <laughs> uh, 
You know what I think of in Utah? We didn't have them in Michigan growing up. Magpies, right? And magpies, they love to hang around on the edge of the road, right? Uh, and the reason why is they know that there's farmers going by with stuff or, for that matter, people throwing scraps out the window, and those magpies are happy to not only chew on that stuff, but particularly if there's a dead critter along the road, right? And then every once in a while, I've seen a magpie that gets annihilated also. Why? Because they don't leave in time. <laughs> They're munching on what they found, and they don't have enough common sense to get out of there. And, uh, and so that's why I always encourage Christians, do business with God when the Holy Spirit tells you to do business with God. Don't wait, because you don't know what next week holds. Uh, some time ago, I, I told my wife that, uh, I, and not that we haven't done this throughout our married life, but I said, now that we're much closer to heaven than we were <laughs> in our 30s and 40s, uh, it's important for me to let my wife know that I love her every night before we say goodnight to each other. Because we don't know if both of us are going to wake up in the morning, right? Now, I'm not trying to be a, you know, like, wow, you, you live in that kind of terror? No, I don't. Uh, but I recognize heaven's a lot closer than it used to be, you see? And uh, uh <clears throat> so there's this person, the devil, that wants to snatch away the truth that I hear. And it, it behooves me to do business with God when he sends his Holy Spirit to cause me to do business with God. I still remember a gentleman that I had the privilege of leading to Christ when uh, I was still in Michigan. And uh, <coughs> uh, I remember in, in, our, in our home church, from time to time we would have a, an invitation. Uh, and uh, now I, I'm used to giving invitations for people to trust the Lord. But from time to time, we'd also have the altar call where if you want to, you know, if the Holy Spirit has put something on your heart you need to do business, we invite you to come forward. And, uh, well, I was sitting next to this guy I, was, I had been discipling and, uh, and uh, from the time he was unsafe. And, uh, and I could tell he was really fidgety <laughs> when the invitation was given. His, uh, my nickname for him was Pop Rio. And I said, Pop Rio, uh, I said, if, if you want to go forward, I'll go with you. He said, I want to go. So I went with him. Handed him off to one of our uh, workers. They took him aside. He came back out. And I said, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic at heart. So I said, Pop Rio, what did you do back there? He said, well, I think they were trying to give me something uh, that I don't have yet. And he says, but I, I, I think they were assuming that I already know Christ and that I wanted to get right with God, but I don't have Christ. And I said, okay, let's go aside here, you and I, to make sure and get this nailed down. You see, I didn't want that opportunity to be snatched from his heart while the Holy Spirit was doing business with him. So there's a person. The second P is persecution. Now, we read the first part of that in uh, verses 5 and 6, just to review. Verse 
5 and 6 says, Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Explanation, interpretation of what the point is. Verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So that's the second P, persecution. Now, persecution, I have learned in life as a pastor, can come from all sorts of sources. Is that right? Uh, <clears throat> now, specifically in the text here, he says that, uh, that it's because of the word. Okay? That is, because I'm a Christian, and I believe the word of God. I believe the Bible. And so this persecution... Uh, comes because of that. Uh, that's uh, illustrated by the stony ground. Here specifically, because I'm a Christian, uh, I am uh, persecuted. But the fact is, persecution, as I mentioned, can come in a variety of ways. It can, uh, it can come by disappointments, uh, the disloyalty of friends, uh, disasters in my life, financial uh, wipeouts, uh, death of a loved one, and it can wipe me out. It can wipe me out. Now, can I let you in on a little secret from a pastor's heart? This is the one that pastors lose more sleep over than any of these three. And the reason is this. Because when tragedy or heartache hits a believer... The pastor is wondering if they have enough root in their life to sustain them through the tragedy or the loss or the persecution or the disappointment, you see? Because it's only the Word of God that's going to sustain them. Oh, yeah, we can do stuff as friends and family and as a pastor. Certainly, all of that is a part of helping people. But... Uh, because they have no root system, it says that the, the sp seed springs up for sure, uh, but it's not, it doesn't have any, a root system that's deep enough to sustain them. And as a result, uh, it says in verse uh, 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, uh, and yet, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. He falls away. Turns his back on God. Stops believing what he used to believe. You name it. Uh, and, and beloved, I, I, I want to remind you of something. It's not a matter of if a storm is going to hit. It's a matter of when the storm hits. Storms hit. They do. And uh, my bride and I, we've been through plenty through the years. Uh, but persecution, it can be problematic. And uh, obviously, as a missionary, 
of an organization with missionaries that serve in 44 countries. I, I know, uh, I have a sense of perhaps more than the average of how persecution can happen in foreign countries. Uh, the kind of persecution we go through in America, for the most part, is pretty minimal. It really is. I, I mean, from an American standpoint, we say, oh, this is so hard. Well, listen, come on, you know? Uh, I was in the military during the Vietnam War. I mean, you know, I mean, drill sergeants uh, instilled in you <laughs> uh, a desire to, to be determined in uh, what you are about to experience because they knew that at some point it could be a life or death situation. Now, that isn't true for every Christian, but it can be. And I'm not sure where this world is going, but I know that uh, we have this enemy of persecution. And because of no depth of, uh, in root system, uh, it may spring up, but the sun comes out, it scorches it. You're, uh, that person is offended by tribulation or persecution. They hear, but they don't receive it, and therefore it never takes root. Now, in my small world, of planting gardens. I, I mentioned to you that in Michigan, my father was an expert at having a green thumb. Well, he didn't learn it in America. He brought it from Italy <laughs> uh, because they had to uh, uh, plant along the hillside and they terraced it uh, because that's the way we lived. That was our livelihood. And, uh, but he brought that to America and I remember that uh, growing up, all of our neighbors wondered what his secret was. <laughs> and I remember in that garden, he also had a peach tree that I mentioned to you before. And that peach tree probably wasn't more than 15, 17 feet top, uh, tall at best. But man, when that, the peaches came in on that tree, the branches, he would have to go out there and brace them because they produced so much fruit. And I'll never forget that as a little kid. Uh, but in my little world of trying to imitate some of that. Uh, I've planted little gardens here and there. But I learned very quickly that, first of all, we have this enemy called grubs. You know, you plant a garden and you got these grubs that are out to uh, destroy what you're trying to bring forth. You're trying to reap something. Uh, in, uh, in Richfield, uh, I, I remember I had a second uh, uh, enemy and that enemy was gophers. Uh, and I didn't realize they were tunneling under the ground. They would eat the root system of the tomato plants, and pretty soon you'd see the tomato plant dying. And the tomato plant on the surface looked healthy. And you're wondering, what in the world? And then as you dug down, you would see the tunnels of the gophers. And then uh, uh, from there it got worse because then I had... Uh, we were along the edge of town in Richfield, and uh, we had deer that would come down the hillsides, and then they start eating the fresh tomatoes. So it was a lost cause, and I, I gave up my green thumb. <laughs> I realized this isn't going to work for me. But uh, the fact is, anything that's worthwhile doing in life, beloved, it is going to have enemies. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be you know, hurdles that I got to get over. Uh, people that have heard me play the accordion 
They say, Dom, when did you learn that? And I said, I, I was a kid. I was probably six, seven, eight years old. My uncle played it. And I, but I remember when it came time, my dad, I, I told my dad, I expressed to him that I wanted to learn to play the accordion. He said, well, if you want to learn, he says, there's no use buying one in, uh, in America because they're so expensive. He says, we have all these relatives that come and go from Italy. I'll just have them bring you one. And so that accordion, you see, was $150. Now, granted, that was, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, but the fact is that Dad wanted to make sure. He said, now, if I send for this, I have to hear from you your commitment that you'll take lessons and that you'll practice because I don't want to spend this kind of money. $150 was a lot of money at that time. And, and you just give it up because that's not an option. And I said, I really do want to learn to play the accordion. Well, that's true in the musical world. That's true in the athletic world, if you want to do anything well. Um, you, you name it. You want to do it well, it takes practice, but there will be enemies. Lastly is another P word that he gives us. And uh, uh, he gives it in uh, chapter 13 again and verse 7. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And he gives us the meaning of that in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The fourth P word is pleasures. Pleasures. He hears, but these things choke out the word and the things that God wants to do in that person's life never take place. In my years of ministry, I have ministered in four different locations. In the previous one to here, uh, we planted a church in Richfield, Utah, in the center of the state, right where, uh, close to where I-15 and 70 come together. And I knew what w that we had our work cut out because that was 95% LDS. And, uh, and we, we didn't know a soul. <laughs> uh, there, were, there was no uh, core group. <laughs> but I, I, want, I want you to know that, that out of all four ministries, that was the ministry we saw the most people come to know the Lord. Uh, were there enemies? Yeah. But the enemy was a little different. You see, because if a Mormon uh, person got saved, the incredible pressure they faced from the community, from their family, from their loved ones, was very, very harsh at times, at least from my perspective. And... Uh, and so, the, but I also knew that that was a test of whether they really wanted to embrace what they had. Or do they want to embrace what they are hearing? So many times through the years, I've heard people walk into a service. They said, you know, I've never heard the word of God taught like I did today. And there is a ring of truth to it. A ring of truth. And that's great, because that's exactly what the Word of God is supposed to do. And, uh, uh, and, and in verse 22, uh, he hears, 
uh, or I'm sorry, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares in the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The enemy there was the cost of what would be lost if I trusted Jesus as my Savior. That is, in that community. You know what the enemy is here? I learned this soon after planting the church. Pleasure. People have it all. They have all the toys. They have all the money. They have the houses. And that's a gr that can be a great distraction. Now, mind you, the Bible does not teach that those things are, uh, you know, necessarily unfruitful or unbiblical. But they can be a distraction, can't they? And they can keep me from zeroing in on the priorities God wants me to have in my life. It's not riches or the toys that are the problem. The Bible gives us the problem. It's our own heart. He doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. What does he say? The love of money is the root of all evil. And so I've learned whether you make $20,000 a year or $200,000 a year, how much more do you need? Just a little bit more. Right? Just a little bit more. And then I will be content. And I'm just here to tell you, beloved, don't stay there. Because the Lord has taught me and, and Elaine through the years that, that that's not where we want to live. And, uh, uh, and I've uh, found, I, I mentioned to you the enemies of the garden. To me, one of the things that we didn't have in Michigan that we do have here that you're all familiar with, and that is morning glory, right? The weed morning glory. And uh, uh, boy, it gets a hold of a tomato plant or anything that you're planting, and it'll just choke it. That's what I picture in my mind. I'm a word picture person. And so that's what I picture when he says, the cares of this world and the riches choke the word so that it doesn't bear the fruit that God wants to bring about in that person's life. And then there's, of course, the last one, and that's the positive. And that's what we'll end with. As for what was sown, verse 23 on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. So this is the difference. The other three only heard it, but he understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. That's God's will for every child of God. Isn't that what he said in John 15 about I am the... I am the vine, you are the branches. And I, my, my desire for you is that you bear fruit, that you bear more fruit, and that you bear much fruit. God wants to do that in your life and in mine. Now, there's a lot of things, and our time's up, but uh, what are some of the contributing factors between the 100, the 60, and the 30? Well, do you remember the uh, parable... The story that Jesus told about the talents gave him five, three, and one. God doesn't hold you accountable for somebody else's talents 
or giftedness. He holds you accountable for yours, <laughs> you see? And uh, the same thing is true here. When you think about 160-30, uh, there's a lot of factors. There's my own spiritual giftedness. There's my own uh, yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. There's the sphere of influence that God gives me. Obviously, uh, as a pastor, my sphere of influence is greater. God's going to hold me accountable for that, you see, uh, and so forth, you see. But the fact is that God does want to bear fruit in our lives. And regardless of what that numerical figure is, that we, we can take it to the bank that God wants to bear fruit from my life. And uh, if you uh, take anything home with you today, that the parable of the sower, he gave it because there were those in the audience that were not responding to the word and therefore fruitfulness was not going to be theirs. On the other hand, he wanted to challenge others that, listen, this is what I want to do in your life. And if you respond, not only here, but you understand and you embrace it, you can reap the benefit, not only for today, this week, this year, for a lifetime in your marriage, in your family, in raising your children, in your finances, you name it. When I bring it all in under the umbrella and submission of the Word of God, I get to reap what I sow. May God help us to do that. Father, thank you for these few moments and for the attentiveness of your dear people. And uh, Lord, I pray that today uh, might be a day of uh, just understanding, perhaps on a new level, about sowing and reaping. Thank you that in many cases you desire to uh, reap things in our life even more than we do. But we thank you that we have the privilege of reaping, regardless of where we find ourselves today, that we can start that journey. And even though I haven't sown well in the past, I can turn that train around and start sowing to the Spirit as the Bible talks about. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.